like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In this episode, I will be continuing my look at Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, Philip K. Dick's 1968 novel, uh, one of his most famous, one of the most um, beloved and most widely read uh, novels. Maybe partially because of the connection to the film Blade Runner, but I think the novel does stand up as one of his one of his best. Um, especially his, one, of his, one of his best on the theme of the, the line between humans and machines and our relationship with machinery and our relationship ultimately with, with each other. In this episode, we'll, we'll look at the consequences of Rick Deckard's realization that he has empathy for androids and his concerns about what this means for the future of his career. When we last left off, he had finished retiring three of the six androids that are on his list. Two were actually retired by another bounty hunter, Rutch, who he realized is a human, but a human with with very low empathic levels for androids. And in general, he's just a rather a brutal man who seems to like killing. This bothers Rick Deckard. It leads him to do an empathy test on himself, where wherein he realizes that he has empathy for particularly female androids. Rec kind of tosses this away as just a about sex essentially about sex appeal going on a rant about how humans are often having affairs and you know with androids or having android mistresses in the in the colonies uh, in mars and the other planets um this though really troubles deckard a little bit more and we're going to see where that goes with him um now with our other main character jr isidore he is now uh helping pris who has revealed to him that she's being chased by bounty hunters. This terrifies Isidore, who believes, like all people on Earth who follow mercerism, that all life is precious and needs to be protected, and the idea of a bounty hunter is something terrifying to him. She says her friends are coming to help, and they knock on the door, and that's where we left off at the end of Chapter 13. So in Chapter 14, we pick up right there with the arrival of Roy and Igrim Batty. These are a, a Two androids, a female and a male, posing as, as a married couple, and they're Pris's friends. So immediately, Roy comes in, and he kind of takes command of, of the scene, of, of the situation. He begins telling Pris all about what happened. He has all the news that Pris is lacking, primarily about the, the death of all of their other friends. Um, the Luf, um, Luba Luf, uh, Polakoff, and Garland. These are the three that that Deckard already already retired. What these three had in common is these are, these androids are all trying to live within human society. They're posing as a human, or you know, working a regular human job, or doing something in the human world to try to to fake their their status as, as a human. That proved to be a failure for all all three of them. Uh, Polakov tried to be a uh, like a, basically a KGB agent. Uh, Luba Luf tried to be an opera singer, and Garland tried to pose as the head of a of a fake police department, which is a really odd scene in the novel. Um, it's never fully explained, as far as I can tell, how 
Garland convinced Wretch to that he's working in a legitimate police department or where this police department even came from. It's a little bit confusing and Dick leaves it ambiguous, I think, on purpose. Um, but anyways, he, uh, Roy is telling Pris this, this history about what has happened to their friends and he starts planning his defense and he really starts taking command, almost ignoring the, the presence of Isidore at all. And he even starts giving orders to Pris saying, I think you should move in with Isidore, Pris, and I think Erm and I should be here in the same building. That way we can help each other. I've got some electronic components in my car. Junk I ripped off the ship. I'll install a two-way bug so, Pris, you can hear us and we can hear you. And I'll rig up an alarm system that any of the four of us can set off. It's obvious that the synthetic identities didn't work out, even Garland's. Of course, Garland put his head in the noose by bringing the bounty hunter to the Mission Street building. That was a mistake. And then he goes on with the mistakes that these other androids made and how they're going to avoid them by basically hiding out in this abandoned building where they won't be um, determined, uh, just dis discovered. Ray really does emerge as a leader, and this is even something Isidore comments on. Um, Pris, meanwhile, starts to manipulate Isidore, trying to convince him to let her move in with him. Roy rigs a trap, which he thinks will be able to capture Deckard. Now, Isidore, throughout all this, doesn't know they're an android. He just thinks there's a madman, a mad bounty hunter out there with the intention of, of killing these people, these, these people that are a bit odd. Um, but they, they are odd, and this is something Isidore knows. And so Pris covers for them by saying that they are all essentially escape mental patients and that the bounty hunter is trying to, to track them down. And this, this leads into a debate really over the value of, of life. And does all life have value, whether it's mentally ill, animal, human, whatever. Isidore is still confused that these bounty hunters are out there, he's saying, because the things don't happen like that. A government never kills anyone for any crime and mercerism. But you see, Pris said, if you're not human, that's all different. That's not true. Even animals, even eels and gophers and snakes and spiders are sacred. Pris goes on, so it can't be, can it? As you say, even animals are protected by the law, all life, everything organic that wriggles or squirms or burrows or flies or swarms or lays eggs. Insects, this is uh, Isidore again, insects are especially sacrosanct, which is something that will come up again. Well, it's actually a spider, not an insect. But I think it's their rarity that makes them so special. Um, so he's still kind of baffled why, why they're being chased down, but they're just going ahead with planning their defense. Um, they talk about their weapon. They actually have a weapon that will kind of shut down the mental capacities of, of, of humans, shut down salafic, cephalic activity. And they said it so Isidore won't be primarily hurt, but if there's two humans, then um, it, will, it will hurt them. So it's a way to get at, at, um, uh, at Deckard. Or they, they don't know Deckard's name. They just know a bounty hunter's after them. At this point, even um, the chicken head Isidore figures it out that these people are androids. If they're setting up a weapon that attacks uh, brain brain waves and brain activity, then it, the only way that this makes sense is if they're androids. And for a moment, he seems to almost envy the androids because they can go to the off-world colonies. They seem to actually have more of a life than he does as human kipple. So we should return to this concept of human kipple a little bit. It's I talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but... You know, Kipple is this kind of trash that accumulates, right? It, it's really a reference to all the garbage and junk left behind after the war, and it just kind of grows and accumulates. It's really about entropy, right? But this entropy also affects living things, right? So the people on Earth are essentially a form of human Kipple. They're the people that are left behind as 
humanity has moved on into the stars. Not that the frontier is that great, but it is sort of like sort of the extension of the old world that existed. It's a bit boring, which is why they need to read 1930s science fiction fiction. Despite living on Mars, they they prefer the fictional depictions of Mars from those those novels. But nevertheless, the humans on Earth are worse off because they are really the the left behind. They're sterile. They don't have a future. They often can't leave. They can't have androids. So their their life is kind of essentially over, especially especially with someone like Isidore, who's a chicken head and sterile. So now with the cat out of the bag that these people are androids, they decide to just sit down and vote on what to do about Isidore. Should they um, keep him alive and maybe he can help them, or should just they just kill him? Baddie's votes that they should just kill him, and this gets into chapter fifteen. Baddie votes that they kill him because. The fault of the other androids was that they worked with humans at all. And actually, this is going to be the undoing of these androids, too. Um, the women, though, they they vote to keep them alive. And it's, it's really, there's a theme throughout this book about sex. This is a very sex-laden book in a lot of ways. Um, and there's this idea that the humans, especially Deckard, has empathy for the female androids. And we see here the female androids, I don't want to, they don't have empathy for Isidore, but somehow they see his value in ways that Roy Batty doesn't. There seems to be a gender difference. I don't know if Dick wants to go that far as to say there is a gender difference in androids. If, you know, if underneath all the circuitry, they're just essentially the same programming. But um, at the same time, Pris is the same model as Rachel Rosen. And there's something about them that's feminine beyond just the skin and just beyond the look of them. The way they talk, the way they act. That was the same case with um, Lupa Loof, I think. So in chapter four, 15, they vote. But most of chapter 15 goes shifts back to Rick Deckard. And so this is a very important scene involving the discovery of, or not discovery, the purchasing of the black goat. So Deckard gets out of work. He thinks he's going to retire at this point. He thinks he cannot retire androids anymore after it's been proven that he has empathy for them. And so he goes to the animal store. He's... That's why he's doing this. He wants to buy an animal. He's from the very first chapter. We know that this is his goal throughout all this, killing these fake humans to get a real animal. So he can't, doesn't, he's not stuck with his fake sheep anymore. So it's, the scene is kind of funny. I, I urge you to look over this again, uh, thinking that it's essentially like a car salesman. That's the sense you're supposed to get where he says, like, do you have a trade-in? And Rector Deckard says, no. And he says, well, what down payment can you afford? We'll put you in the animal. We'll get you the animal that you really want and you deserve. And he upsells him into a black goat. I, I think originally he wanted to buy, like, rabbits or something. And then the salesman says, well, with $3,000, we can get you, that can be a good down payment on a goat. And a goat, and then he sells why the goat's the best animal for them. They, they're kind of immune to radiation. They have a long life expectancy and all that. And eventually... Deckard is sold on the goat with a $3,000 down payment. We never get the price of the goat, but it's a lot. At one point later on, when I ran the wife, here's the, the monthly payments. Deckard says, well, we can extend the mortgage to like 48 months, and that will lower the price by about $50 a month, 56 something a month. So it's it's not a small loan, right, that that they're they're going to have a burden for for a number of years for for buying this goat but it's it brings them such joy and this is what we realize when he comes um back home and brings the goat to to iran i mean the this is actually one of the most touching scenes in the entire novel i think it's it almost makes you want to cry when you when you just experience their joy after all much all they've gone through and all the suffering they've experienced and how bleak that first chapter is you see them really overjoyed with 
the realization that they're going to have an animal in their house, that they're going to have something that they can love and, and connect with and have that empathic connection with, something they've been denied for, for so many years since their, their sheep died. And then they have a discussion whether they should join with the, with the empath, empathy box, right? Should they share this joy with all of their people? And this is really the touching moment where we learn the importance of the empathy. It's not just sharing the experience of Mercer. It's sharing the pain and suffering of all the people and the joy of all the people who are in the empathy box. So she says, like, if we have this joy in our hearts with this goat, if we grab the handles of the black empathy box, there might be someone out there who wants to kill themselves and they will feel our joy and we'll save a life. We have a burden to do that. But Deckard says, but if we do it, we'll get their sufferings and our joy will be diminished at this point. But eventually they do agree to, to unite with the, the empathy box. But it's a wonderful scene. It's one of the best in the entire book, it seems to me. Um, now, Deckard eventually explains that he can't really be a bounty hunter anymore because he has this empathy for, for androids. And Iran worries how they can afford the the goat after this, but he wants to like move into animal theft crime, basically move to a different department of the police uh, department, something that he can get more meaning out of his life with. And the, the position he wants is like this animal crimes or animal theft. Um, so he eventually gets a call from Brian, his boss, and it's late. It's like late at night. It's like he's already checked out right, and gone home, bought this goat. So he's done a lot in this. So it's pretty late, but Brian calls and says, they have a lead on the last three androids, basically someone I saw them and identified them and they know roughly the building they're in. And so he's basically said, you got to go do this now before they leave. And Decker doesn't want, he wants to do it tomorrow, but Brian convinces him, you have to do this today. We, we, we need to finish this job now. So he consults the empathy box. He, he, and he actually, in the empathy box, he sees Mercer. He has a vision of, of Wilbur Mercer. And here's what Mercer tells him. Actually, this is almost a scene like from the Bhavagad Gita, where, uh, is it Ashura who has the meeting, I think it's Vishnu, where he asks, like, you know, I don't want to follow my dharma. I don't want to be a killer. I don't want to be a warrior. And, and the god says, yeah, you have to follow your dharma. That's kind of what Mercer says here. It's kind of like suffering and pain are part of life, right? And we have to kind of go through our roles. So this is what Mercer tells him in the, while he's holding the, the black handles of the empathy box. You will be required to do wrong no matter where you go. It is the basic condition of life to be required to violate your own identity. At some time, every creature which lives must do so. It's the ultimate shadow, the defeat of creation. This is the curse at work, the curse that feeds on all life, everywhere in the universe. And um, eventually then he is convinced by Mercer through this that he has to finish the job. But he realizes it's going to be tough to get the last three androids. So he finally calls in Rachel Rosen's help. Rachel offered help to get the, the Nexus 6s. Now, it's a bit, he doesn't trust her entirely, and he shouldn't, because he already knows that they were trying to sabotage the, the empathy test. So they couldn't catch Nexus 6 androids anymore. But nevertheless, that, that kind of offer of help was given. And so he, he calls that up. And he agrees, he, they talk on the phone and finally he says, okay, I'll be, if you meet me, if you meet me in this hotel, I'll agree to give up the hunt for the androids. This turns out to be a lie, but he really wants to test his empathy of female androids. And he wants to use Rachel Rosen to do this. He must have, uh, he had some attraction towards her earlier. So he wants to test whether this empathy for androids is real or not. Kind of, can he kill someone like Rachel Rosen is the test he, he gives himself. 
So that's chapter 15. It's a really important chapter with the goat, with uh, Deckard's kind of recommitment to his job, and then his seeking out Rachel Rosen's help. All of this are very faithful choices that he makes. So in chapter 16, we see Deckard in his office. No, no, sorry, in this hotel room that he rented, waiting for Rachel Rosen to come. She's like up in Seattle. It's like an hour trip on those fast spaceships that they take. But he's looking through the files on on the escaped androids, particularly Roy and Igman Batty, and then Pris Stratton is the other one. And he realizes that, that Batty's a real leader. So this is the little blurb we get on Batty in the file. Roy Batty, the poop sheet informed him, has the aggressive, assertive air of Urzak's authority. Given to mystical preoccupations, this android proposed a group escape attempt, underreading it ideologically with a pretentious fiction as to the sacredness of so-called android life. In addition, this android stole an experiment with various mind-fusing drugs, claiming when caught that it hoped to provoke the androids to a group experience similar to that of Mercerism, which it pointed out remains unavailable to androids. That's really interesting because the empathic experience is something that connects people together. That's something Dick constantly reminds us of in this novel. It, it's something that really fuses people together. And that's what androids can't do. But you have here an android trying to do that. They're trying to take this step into humanity. Um, and this is played with in the movie version, the Blade Runner stuff, a little bit with the way they characterize Batty, um, both as a leader and as someone who wants to... For him, it's more about... In the movie, it's more about extending his life. and getting, you know The humanity of the android is more taken for granted. And it's more about just extending life so he can have a full life. This is a little bit deeper in that to be fully human, they're really going to have to touch this, this you know, level of empathy. They don't have it yet, but it's, you know, and Decker doesn't believe they can ever have it, really. But they're trying to get there through drugs. And we've seen many examples in Dick's fiction of hallucinogenic drugs creating collective shared experiences. So anyways, eventually Rachel Rosen comes and they have a conversation. She she brings bourbon and they begin to drink that. She asks about his plan. She doubts that he can do it. And the reason why she doubts he can do it is because Pris is the same model as Rachel Rosen. She might have a different hair color, different clothes or whatever, but essentially her face, her features, her, her voice, everything about her will be the same as Rachel Rosen. So she doesn't think she can kill her and then they have a discussion about the twins the old psychological experiments about twins right if you take two twins and you give them different lifestyles are they going to have different identities and cultures or are they going to be the same right and here you have kind of a case study in that where you have two androids of the same model basically born the same but they've gone on their own ways will they diverge or will they um, come to will they basically end up in the same place there's also a lot of discussion here about the main conflict between the police department, the bounty hunters, and the Rosen Corporation, because the Rosen Corporation is trying to make a better and better android, because that's what the market seems to want. But at the same time, the, the police are in a bind, because as the androids get better and better, they're better able to fool the empathy test, right? Because even the, the Nexus 6s can sort of compensate for the empathy test. They can sort of fake an empathic response. You know, and he Deckard's good enough to detect it with the test, but maybe other bounty hunters can't. So they're going to get harder and harder to to detect over time. And they debate that a little bit. But Rachel and the Rosens are basically indifferent to this. They they again have this logic that you just do what the customer wants. The market will push forward as it will. Uh, they talk about empathy and the empathic response. And, and Rachel Rosen finally concludes that she's empathic only for herself. 
Uh, she says, I don't dare go because androids have no loyalty to one another, and I know that that goddamn Pris Stratton will destroy me and occupy my place. Um, he then, d- unfortunately, confesses to Rachel that he bought the black Nubian goat, uh, this thing that's so precious to him. He also explains his secret weapon, which he'll use to stop. So it's a tool that will stop android respiration. Apparently, androids are not as able to stop, to hold their breath, essentially, as humans are. Humans can hold their breath for a while, um, but androids can't. So this is his secret weapon. Just like the androids have their secret weapon, Deckard has his own. Um, Rachel then eventually agrees to go along with him, if, and she'll retire Pris for him, because she doesn't think Deckard will be able to. And then they, they have sex. It's off-screen sex, but, but they have sex after that. So then this brings us to chapter 17, which is the last chapter I'll look at um, today. So I guess this will be a little bit of a, a shorter episode. So after having sex, Deckard and Rachel begin to discuss their preparing for their final fight and, and getting ready for that. And they have a conversation. It's the first time it's mentioned in the novel, but they made a big deal of it in the Blade Runner film. And that is the lifespan of the android is only four years. Rachel's already two years old, so she'll only have two years left. And the reason for this is they really haven't figured out cellular regeneration, the technology for that. So once the kind of the, the material breaks down, it, it can't really be repaired. Um, this is really made a big deal of in the, in, the, in the movie, but it's just passed over in this scene here at one point. It doesn't really matter to Dick that much, whether they have a four-year lifespan or a hundred-year lifespan. They're all on this path to death anyways, and that's something they share with humanity anyways. I mean, that's a common experience that humans and androids seem to have is, is being towards death, I guess. And, uh, is that Heidegger? Heidegger had this concept of being towards death, or the existentialist in general had this idea that we're all kind of marching towards death. That's core to the human um, condition. Um, she begins to explain to Deckard how she actually has been trying to affect bounty hunters for a while. And this is right. Deckard's not the first bounty hunter she slept with, that she's actually had slept with Wretch before. This is something that Wretch actually alluded to earlier in the story when he met him. She saw him as odd, something we all know about him now, too. But this is all efforts to try to implant empathy for androids in the bounty hunters. So she's trying to corrupt the pool of, of bounty hunters so they won't go out slaughtering androids anymore because that's the ultimate goal of the Rosen Corporation to expand their market they don't want androids on earth to be killed they want to be they want to sell androids everywhere so if they break down the major weapon of humans to keep the androids from earth bounty hunters then they'll have a bigger market share I think that's what it comes down to I I don't think the Rosens have any deeper plan or plot here I, I think it essentially comes down to they want to sell these androids and not have them shot up so they go off to the location where the final uh, battle, if you will, will take place. And while they're, while they're driving, he begins to really doubt that he can kill the female androids. And it's not just Pris Stratton, who looks like Rachel Rosen. It's also the Igmar Batty. So he tests himself and he, he, he decides essentially he's going to kill Rachel Rosen right then and there to prove he can do it. So he threatens to kill Rachel just, again, to prove that he can. But eventually he lets her go. And this is a very fateful decision as well. And it joins up with his decision to tell her about the, the black goat. And Rachel leaves, but she gives kind of a snide remark as she walks away. But you did, but you really looked down on me for what I did. 
You've gone the way of the others, bounty hunters before you. Every time they get furious and talk wildly about killing me, but when the time comes, they can't do it. Just like you now, just now. You realize what this means, don't you? It means I was right. You won't be able to retire any more androids. It won't just be me. It'll be the baddies and the Strattons. So go home to your goat and get some rest. So that's her basically her final message to Deckard. She'll have one more message for him, but it, it won't be told in person. So eventually they let her go. And... And there's one mention here of something that's going to be important in Chapter 18. And that is Rachel mentioned that you should be listening to Buster Friendly and his friendly friends because there's going to be an important news item. Now, what that news item is and what it means for the world and what it means for mercerism and what it means for um, our characters is something we're going to have to look at in our final episode reviewing Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? So how should we read this letting Rachel go? Is this Deckard being a coward? Is this Deckard making his empathy for androids real before he actually has to do the job of killing them? He never really doubts that he's going to have to kill these other androids. But by letting one go, does he give some substance to his feeling for and his, his capacity to understand and appreciate them as living things? No matter how little and brief... Um, yeah, coming back to it, you know, the four-year lifespan, it's not made much of in Dick's novel, but it's important in the sense that their lives are kind of petty and and meaningless almost. You know, they're, they can't really connect with other people. It's short. They're essentially slaves. But it's a life nonetheless, right? And that's the core ethical dilemma in, in the story. Um, they may be psychopaths, but they seem to have... They seem to have a bit of a life, and, and Decker decides to at least save one of them rather than kill her. But he does come close to killing Rachel Rosa. So anyways, that's it for now. Um, some interesting stuff in this section, even though most of it's just kind of carrying on the plot. Um, it, it kind of puts all the pieces where they need to be for the final, for the climax of, of the novel. Um, but we'll see next time what happens to the goat. What happens to Deckard? What happens to the three remaining androids? Rachel Rosen, Iran, all, all our characters. And we'll see what the conclusion to the novel is in my final uh, section on Do I Enjoy Dream of Electric Sheep? I'll also be giving a, a, an overall thematic summary of what I think the major um, important concepts explored in this novel are. So as always, thanks for listening. If you have your own thoughts about this part of the novel or the novel as a whole, please leave them below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. And um, I'll see you next time. Thanks for... You must search till you find the bluebird. You will find peace and contentment forever. If you